Welcome, Abundant Life Church. How you doing? Man, I'm so excited to be here. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online as well. And I know they're live streaming this for our students. Uh, Speaking of our students, I love our students. I just got, uh, yeah, it's amazing. They're an incredible group. Uh, I got done spending a week building some houses with them and hanging out with them in Mexico doing some incredible work. And I love you guys. I'm glad that you're watching this morning. But I'm Robbie. I'm one of the executive pastors here, and it is my privilege and honor to be able to uh, share with you and be able to give Jeremy uh, a break um, as he gets prepared for uh, Easter. We're ending this incredible series, this book in, in Scripture, Philippians. It was a letter that was written by Paul. It's an epistle, and uh, we're in week six in your journal. So would you grab your journal if you have it? Uh, it's the very end, last, um, last part in your journal, and you can write notes as God puts things on your heart this morning. We're going to finish up Philippians, so we're at the last chapter um, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be there. If you have a regular Bible, open that up, stick your finger there. If you have a digital version, you can click on that. We're going to be there in just a couple minutes. Um, You've heard that we're uh, celebrating Easter next weekend? (laughs) I I hope you're excited. I am so excited. This is why we get together and celebrate as a church. If Jesus hadn't risen From the dead, we would have nothing to celebrate. And we get to celebrate that next weekend. And we're excited about that. What an incredible opportunity for you two to bring uh, friends, bring neighbors, and expose them to this incredible hope that we have in Jesus. So make every effort to do that. And I would also encourage you, if you can, to avoid some of the peak times. The 10, 11, 30 service are so packed. And uh, if you can come to one of our other services and make some space, we would really appreciate that. Also, we're going to do something really incredible. We're taking up a special offering next weekend for our Easter service. A couple times a year, we do special offerings. But this offering literally is, it goes outside of these walls. This is just something that we have a heart and a burden for, to support an organization that's on the front lines of hope, trying to uh, rectify some of this foster care problems and issues that we have. And I don't know if foster care uh, has, has become near and dear to your heart, but it has to mine. Um, I've been thinking about uh, just what it, you know, just the foster care problem. I've been reading so much about it, and I think God's just kind of been uh, just working on my heart. And uh, I know it's hard to believe as a, as a father of nine, seven kids at home that I would actually be considering becoming a foster parent. But my wife and I, we've been talking about it uh, lately, and here's the deal. Um, you know, I've been looking around at all the stuff that I have, and yeah, it's expensive to raise a lot of kids, but you know what? I am not in want. I look around, and I, and I, have, I have more than I need. You know, I don't know if you've seen the show, the movie Schindler's List, but, you know, at the end, um, you know, he realizes how many, how many people he could have saved by selling all of his possessions. And he sold a lot, but then he's looking at his car and he's like, oh, that's a that's 100 people I could have saved. And his wristwatch, that's, you know, 50 I could have saved. And, and, and you know, sometimes I feel like... Uh, you know, the, these kids that need homes that, uh, you know, that, that get bounced around in foster care, uh, they need a home. And I look at all the stuff that I have and I, I just feel convicted, like, you know, maybe, you know, we could make a difference too. So, you know, if, uh, if a father of nine with seven at home can consider it, I don't know what your excuse is. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. 
But uh, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if we're gonna actually open up our home to a foster care. We're gonna we're praying about it, but uh, but we have we were praying about partnering with Embrace Oregon and this special offering that we're gonna take. My wife and I we decided we're gonna make a sacrificial gift, and I would encourage you as well. If uh, you know maybe you can't open your home, but you can partner with this incredible organization. Um, so we're gonna do it. I commit that to you. I hope uh, you would pray about that as well. Have you ever dreamt about being rich? Uh, yeah, I mean, all of us probably have. You know, Pastor Jeremy, uh, you know, he's been, he, last week he preached about uh, being content. Last week, an incredible message. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go online and look at that. Paul talks about learning to be content with little and learning to be content with much. And maybe you're feeling like, you know, I've learned to be content with little. Lord, let me learn how to be content with much. Maybe that's what you're thinking this morning. You know, money is, uh, money's a funny thing. You know, it's here today, gone tomorrow, you know, and, and, and that's really, you know, the issue. But I was thinking about the fact that money brings out the best and the worst in people. I mean, really, it's both ends of the spectrum. When, when I say to you, money brings out the best in people, what image comes to your mind? I mean, just think about that. When you've seen, you know, money bring out something incredible in people, maybe it was somebody that did something really incredible and generous for, for somebody, or, you know, I, I don't know what, what images come to your mind, but when I say money brings out the worst in people, what images does that conjure up in your mind? I've seen money bring out some really horrible things in people. Money is, is interesting, it's weird, it's fickle. You know, um, if, you know, if you would have invested $5,000 20 years ago in Amazon, you'd be worth about 2.4 million. You know, we live in this world where people just get rich overnight because of the internet and all these tech startups. And I don't know if you heard of Bitcoin, but, you know, Bitcoin's not worth much uh, right now. And it, but, you know, a year ago, uh, Bitcoin was, was worth so much money. These kids, I know a 19-year-old, I don't know a 19-year-old, I know a realtor that, that told me a story about working with a 19-year-old uh, young man who um, invested a little bit in Bitcoin and he was worth millions. And, and she was uh, helping him find a house. He was paying cash for a half a million dollar home at 19. You know, he hasn't even started working yet, but he has all this money because of Bitcoin. You know, it's crazy. It's up and down. The struggle uh, that we live in in society, we see people becoming rich overnight and we see people struggling to make ends meet. You know, I, you might be sitting here and you might be thinking that, um, that you handle your finances well and, and, and you might have. Maybe you, uh, you, you know, maybe you give your money to a financial advisor that's, you know, that's given you good counsel. Maybe your parents have taught you to invest well and, and, and I don't know where you sit um, on the issue of money, but when it comes to how God's laid it out for us, we all have room to grow. Author Mike Foster says it this way. He says that we need to create safe places to talk about risky things. The local church should be a safe place to talk about risky things. Do you agree? I mean, if we can't talk about risky things here, then what are, what are we doing? And then he says, money creates more stress than anything else in a relationship, more than sex, kids, and even the in-laws. <laughs> Research shows that if you can talk about money, you can talk about anything. And Jesus talked about money. He talked about money a lot. He talked more about money in scripture than almost anything else, second to only the kingdom of God. 
You know, and today I, I, I want to I wanna talk about the kingdom of God when it comes to money and see how these two topics are so interconnected. Look at Matthew 6, how Jesus puts it in verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Why does he say that? He says, because money cannot be trusted, but he can be trusted. You can't serve both God and money. It's impossible. You see, money is a great servant, but it's a bad master. Money can serve us in incredible ways. We can help people. We can, you know, buy for our needs. We can provide for our kids. We can do a lot of stuff with money. But when money becomes the one that drives the car, when it's sitting on the throne of our lives, when money dictates what we do and why we do it, then there's a huge problem. It's a good servant. It's a bad master. It serves us. We don't serve it. And I hear people say all the time, though, that they just hate the fact that churches talk so much about money. I know some of you here are, are, are sitting here and you're thinking, um, I don't want to hear a message about money because it just makes me feel guilty. I feel all kinds of shame because I, I, I've struggled. We've messed up our finances and it's too late for us. We're in debt, you know, and, and, and the bill collectors are calling and oh, I just don't want to think about it. You know, and some of you here, you're thinking, oh, I don't really need to hear a message on money because I've done pretty well. I've got some things. I've got some money in the bank. I've got a retirement and you know, I'm taking care of things pretty well. I don't need to hear a message about, about money. But I'll tell you, wherever you land on this spectrum, I hope God would, would reveal to, the, to us the things that we have placed on the throne of our lives and the things that we've treasured more than God. And I hope God can begin to, begin to invite us into levels of generosity that we never thought were possible. And I also just want to say that I, as a pastor, I'm sorry for the abuse that you have been subjected to. I'm sorry for the guilt and the manipulation, the pastors and preachers and teachers and the televangelists that have been motivated by the wrong agendas. But here's the deal. If we don't work this out in our lives, we will not grow as Christians. You know, we talk about this as a staff. It's become you know, uh, something that we really believe that needs to start with us. And, and we're learning how to be generous givers. And I'm learning how to be a generous giver. But if we don't surrender our wallets, we'll never surrender our hearts. It's impossible to serve God and money. You know, during the Crusades, um, knights were enlisted to fight for the church and the story is told that uh, to be a knight, they needed to be baptized and be surrendered to God and the church. But the interesting thing about uh, the knights is they, they had a sword and, and they didn't want to surrender their sword, but they wanted to surrender everything else. And so what they would do is they would get baptized, but they would hold their sword. And as they went under the water, they would hold their sword above their head, basically signifying that, you know, you get everything but this. You know, and, and, and I can't help but think that some of us do the same thing with our wallets, you know, or a time, 
or whatever you hold near and dear that you say, God, I'll surrender to you, but, you know, but that. We need to learn how to surrender these things. And it's such a big deal. There's so much writing on this. I think we need to talk about it more and more in healthy ways. So today, we're going to finish up our journey through the book of Philippians. And it's kind of sad because it's such a great book. And it feels kind of like saying goodbye to an old friend. I mean, we've learned a lot about Paul. We've learned a lot about the church in Philippi. And, and uh, there's been incredible passages that we've, we've, we've heard about. And uh, last week was one of my favorites, Philippians 4.13. And Pastor Jeremy uh, just did such a great job with that. And um, today is no different. Today's text is incredible. It's an incredible passage. I was given it. I wasn't given a choice to teach on a topic that I love. Matter of fact, as I, as I, I was given this passage, I started reading through it and I looked at it and I realized, oh man, this is on giving. This is on being generous. I don't want to talk about this. You know, when you preach through a book in the Bible, that's kind of what you get, you know. You, you don't get to pick and choose your, you know, your favorites. You just got to Take what's next. And, and it's important as we look at these things that these, all these things matter. And, and, and I got to believe that this was, you know, one of the most important things to Paul. And that's why he ends this book. So, um, and if you're frustrated that I'm talking about money, uh, you can blame Paul. It's his fault. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm with you. I, I was a little frustrated too. But, man, I've, I've dug into this and I'm, I'm excited about it. And uh, if you've been in our study of Philippians, you remember that, that Paul's in prison in Rome. Uh, Twelve years prior, it was a second missionary journey. Paul uh, traveled to, uh, um, to a city called Philippi where he began to preach the gospel and people started responding and the church began. Now, 12 years later, Paul finds himself in prison for preaching the gospel. And prisons, you know, then were not like prisons now where you have cable TV and all you know, other things. I'm not saying that, you know, prison be fun. And I'm not saying I've ever been there, but I'm just saying that, you know, what I've heard. But I know uh, then, like, you know, you, you didn't get food to take care of your nourishment. You, you didn't get uh, health care to take care of your health problems. You had to rely on, on people and, and, and uh, people had to step up to help. And, and so that's, uh, you know, what Paul's doing. He's, he's um, reaching out to churches, these people that he has a relationship with. And uh, the Philippians wanted to help Paul out, and so they sent an offering through Epaphroditus. It was receiving this gift that prompted Paul to write this letter. And so this letter really is, it's just a, it's a, it's a long thank you for their generosity and really thanking God for this church and how generous they were. Follow along as I read. We're gonna be in chapter four, starting in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is thankful 
for their gifts, but not exactly for the reason you might think. Paul received their gifts with joy, but he also warned them that money could not be trusted. Money will not bring contentment. Only God can bring contentment. Money is not to be trusted or worshiped. Only Jesus is to be trusted and worshiped. And so with the Philippians, what we see in this is that their salvation was marked, revealed by their generosity. It was proof of their love for God. And the same is true for us. So I want to ask you, as, as I ask myself, what does our heart reveal today? Because Jesus fights for our hearts because he knows that it's the key to life. Look what Proverbs says. Proverbs says that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart, you know? And, and if, if the source is toxic, if the source is dysfunctional, then what flows out of it will be that as well. And that's why Jesus fights for our heart. It's our source of life. Because God wants to reign there. And if he can get a hold of our hearts and if he can bring healing to our hearts, then he will flow from our lives in ways that you can't even imagine. He fights for our hearts because he knows that it's the key to life. I, uh, I studied economics uh, my first year in college and uh, it was boring. <laughs> my goodness. Um, you know, I just, I'd fall asleep and, and uh, there were things I, I liked about it, but overall, you know, just memorizing terms and stuff. I don't know if you study economics, good for you, but economics has been defined as the branch of knowledge concerned with the production, consumption, consumption and transfer of wealth. I know that sounds pretty boring, but, I, but whether you realize it or not, all of us can get pretty excited about economics. I mean, look at this. It's the consumption of wealth. I mean, we daydream about that, right? We think, man, I mean, if, if I won the lottery, oh, the house I might buy, the things I might consume. You see, economics runs our world, you know, uh, whether, whether you're a, a child that wants to, you know, wants to raise your, your allowance or you're a teen that's working a minimum wage job to fix up your car or maybe buy your boyfriend or girlfriend you know, something or maybe a college student that's trying to figure out how you're going to pay for college. Or maybe you're the parent of that college student trying to figure out how you're going to help them, how you're going to pay for it. Maybe you're maybe a 50-something and you're looking forward to retirement and you're wondering, what is life going to be like and how am I going to be able to take care of things when I'm not getting an income? Or maybe you're like my dad who found himself in retirement trying to figure out how to make Social Security stretch to keep up with the rising inflation and cost of living. But all of us deal with economics. We're all affected by money. And Paul talks about this in this passage in economic terms. As a side note, I was thinking about this and uh, it was just, I had this incredible thought. If the Philippian church hadn't been generous with Paul, we wouldn't have this incredible book. I mean, this book that has some of our favorite passages and we've learned so many things through the study of Philippians, if this church hadn't stepped into an invitation, God invited them. He said, hey, Paul's in need and I wanna invite you to be a part of this. Even though you're struggling, even though this is gonna be sacrificial for you, I'm gonna invite you to be a part of this. And they did it. 
not even realizing that 2,000 years later, we would become the beneficiary of this. They were just generous. I call this the ripple effect. You know, you look at a pond that's crystal clear and you take a little pebble and you, and you throw it out in the pond and the ripples go out in, in every direction. And you never know what kind of things are going to happen and what energy is created on the shore here and underneath the water here and the shore over here. The ripples go out and, 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 and God is so much like that. He's working all the time, all around you and all around me, everywhere. And he's working inside of his kingdom. And then he invites us to be a part of it. You know, the Philippian church didn't have to be generous to Paul. When God extended the invitation, he put it on their hearts. They could have been like the other churches that didn't respond. They would have missed out, but God would not have forced them to give to Paul. And that's how God works. God's working all over the place, and he's inviting us to partner with him and be a part of what he's doing. At this stage in my life, you guys, I don't want to miss out ever on those opportunities that God invites me to be a part of, even if it hurts. And I'm not saying I do it all the time, and there's, sometimes I struggle. You know, there was a situation, I'll just t tell you just a little bit about it, that happened, uh, you know, not too long ago, maybe about six or seven months ago, where um, I believe that God, you know, kind of invited me into something, and just something struck my heart, and, and, and it, was, it was to, you know, help somebody out um, financially, loan them some money because they were in a, in a predicament. And, uh, you know, my first response wasn't, oh, yeah, sure. I had to, I had to work through it because I'm learning this. But as I prayed about it, and I just, I, I was like, God, if this is you, I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. So I did it, thinking that I was going to get paid back. And uh, into this process, on a Friday night, I found out that uh, we probably weren't going to get our money back. Have you ever loaned anybody money and, and uh, you know, and struggled with the fact that maybe you weren't going to get paid back? Friday night, I, I, I had to wrestle with this, and I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. And, and it, it was a lot of money to me, a lot of money. And we struggled, my wife and I, over, uh, over the weekend from Friday to Sunday. We spent so much time out on our back patio talking about it, thinking about it, working through this. And I'm kind of embarrassed that it took us so long to get to the place where we finally got to. But I, this is why I tell you that story, because I wanted you to, I want you to hear what I really believe God put on my heart Sunday night, that I wish I could have gotten there Friday night. I was sitting there, and we were thinking about it, and I was struggling like crazy, and I felt like God said, would it have changed anything if you knew now, if you knew then what you know now? Like, if you knew ahead of time that you weren't going to get your money back, would you have not accepted my invitation to be a part of something bigger than you? And I'm like, no. No, God, it wouldn't have changed anything. I mean, I don't, I don't want to lose big sums of money, but God, I, I so desperately want to be a part of whatever you're doing. And I got there, and I released it. And I'm telling you, in this idea, I'm learning it. I don't have it figured out. I'm not, the, you know, I'm not the expert up here going, hey, do what I do. I'm just saying I'm learning it and I'm seeing keys to this incredible life that Jesus promises us. Here's what I would tell you. Investing in the kingdom of God is always better than you could ever imagine. Paul gives us this financial lesson and he unfolds for us 
the mystery of God's economy. Back in Philippians 3, uh, verse 20, he says that you are citizens of heaven. Basically what he's saying is, is if you come into relationship with Jesus, you know, this world's not your home anymore. The kingdom of this world, the economics of this world, they're not yours anymore. You're part of a heavenly kingdom and yet we struggle to live inside of both. If deep in your heart you have any desire to be rich in this world, you, my friend, are setting your sights way too low. And if we learn that when we start to think and live in the world of God's economy, man, there will, there will be explosions of blessings attached to this. So verse 14, Paul says to them, you share in my troubles. That word trouble actually is the same word that was used when Jesus was talking about the struggle that was going on inside of him when he was in Gethsemane and he was on his way to the cross and he was struggling with what was in front of him. He even prayed and sweat blood and he said, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass. My heart's troubled, my spirit's troubled. It's the same word. And then he uses this, he says that you share in my troubles and that's a huge connecting point. The root of that word uh, in the Greek comes from a word you may have heard before. It's koinonia. It's a cool word. You can say it, koinonia. I love that word. It means to fellowship with or share in. And I'll tell you, this is the key. Like when it comes to our life in Christ, when it comes to us giving and receiving and sharing and even being generous, God has called us to share to be a part of each other's lives, to give and receive and be a part of it. Generosity is sharing. And I'll tell you, you don't have to learn selfishness. Man, my two-year-old, he's got it down. And I hope he hadn't learned it from me. But I remember back when I was five years old, I was thinking about this, and I had this vision of me playing with a Tonka truck in kindergarten. And some little boy came up to me, and he wanted to play with it, and it was like, no way. You know, uh, we just naturally just want to hold on to things that are ours. But no, notice what Paul says about the nature of their giving. He says that they shared in his trouble. And in verse 18, he says, it was generous. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. So he doesn't say, like, you know, you gave me just enough to take care of my needs. Praise God. Like, it all lined up perfectly. No, he goes, I was amply supplied. More than enough. Isn't that, way, isn't that the way it is with God? Like, you know, God always gives abundantly. And he also says, not only was it generous, but it was sacrificial. Look back in chapter 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's in this struggle. He's in prison. He's troubled. And he says, you Philippians, you are going through the same thing. You're dealing with the same struggle, same persecution, and yet you're giving sacrificially to me. You're partnering with me we're experiencing koinonia. And what makes this offering acceptable? Because don't we want to, 
you know, we want to be acceptable. It's like, you know, what makes a, a good acceptable gift to God? And how can we be different than the Pharisees that do all these things out in the open so people can see them? What makes it acceptable? Jesus was in the temple one time and uh, his disciples were there and, and he was looking and there were a bunch of rich people putting money in the offering, which, you know, seems fantastic. And this, this old widow comes up and she puts two copper coins in the offering plate. And he goes, okay. He says, come here, boys. He says, look at this. Who gave more? Was it the rich people or was it the widow? The widow. Why? These rich people gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave sacrificially. See, with God, it's not about the money. God would rather have two cents from a heart that is being generous than $2,000, $20,000, from somebody that's just giving out of their abundance. You see, this is not a, a message to try to get you to give more to abundant life. God's got abundant life taken care of. You know, and, and yeah, we, we, you know, we function as a, as a community of believers together by the offerings and stuff, but this has to do with, you know, you giving as you see fit, as God puts it on your heart. You know, we took the offering before, you know, this isn't me trying to go, hey, let's take the offering afterwards. I'll talk about money and then maybe people will give more. Where God guides, he provides. And we believe that God is guiding us in incredible ways. And I'm asking, you know, us as a church to be a part of what God is doing in this community, in Sandy, in Vancouver, and to the ends of the earth, because that's what we're doing. We're going there. But I'm not trying to coerce you, make you feel guilty. This is not a motivation about anything but to give your heart to Jesus. It's important that it's sacrificial. And the reason why is because it, it puts our reliance on God. When we give sacrificial, we have to go, God, I, I got to trust you. God's economy is counter to what we've been taught. Jesus says in Luke 6, here's how he says it. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love this. Again, like look at the image of this. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, running over, flowing into your lap. When you give, it will be given in the same way you give and the same measure you use will be used to you, the world's way to becoming rich is by getting, but God's is by giving. It's all of a matter of economics and the economics that you and I follow. And the reason this is such a huge deal to me is because what Paul says in verse 17. Now, this passage of scripture, people, you know, tend to kind of link into um, verse 19. Uh, you know, I first read through it, you know, I was like, 19, that's, that's a great passage to, to land on. You know, that God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. It's a, that's a happy message. But the more I read it, read it, I realized that it hinges on 17. Look at this. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Like Paul's not tripping about their, you know, the money that they sent. He's saying, because you were generous, God is gonna bless you. And that makes me more excited than the gift itself. Credited to your account actually means large abundance. And in the Greek, this verb is a present participle, which means that it's ongoing, it's active. It's, it's not a one-time event. Gordon Fee says it like this. 
He says it's an ever-increasing balance in your divine account. Man, when you reach out and you give generously and you open up your heart, man, God is going to not stop doing incredible things in your life. It is the best investment ever. And how will he supply? According to his riches and glory. Their lavish generosity was exceeded only by God's incredible lavish wealth. Finally, and who's it, who is this promised for? Just like 4.13 doesn't mean that 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Doesn't mean that you're going to make the starting lineup on your football team. You're 4.9 and, you know, you're 80 pounds and I can do all things through Christ, man, you know. It's like, nah, maybe not. <laughs> this passage is the same. We say God's going to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. But that comes with a promise. And that is if you're generous, God will be generous. Luke 6 says give and it will be given. For the measure you use, it will be, it will be measured to you. The promise of supply is for generous people. And not just people that just, you know, give and, and, and show it off. We're talking like you open up your heart. You let Jesus reign here. And God's going to take care of the rest. He promises that. The main point of this passage is not giving our money, but giving ourselves. That we would identify so much with Jesus and his kingdom and his mission that's extending and preaching the gospel. Giving ourselves for the gospel. Sound familiar? Our mission statement. Giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. I love this mission statement. I love it because I see companies and businesses and churches that have mission statements that sound great or cliche that it's like, but they don't mean anything. Like this is something you can get behind. This is something that every time I read it, it brings conviction. Giving myself means that I'm going all in. I'm diving in, I'm giving myself sacrificially to make the gospel good news. I want to be a part of what God is doing in his kingdom. And generosity opens this amazing blessing. Proverbs 22. It says the generous will themselves be blessed. I want you to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want to live inside of God's kingdom in a way that I just continue to just shake my head and go, this is incredible. Like, it's cliche. You cannot give God, but Man, if God promises he's gonna take care of us, why wouldn't we you know, give this a shot? Why wouldn't we do this? Second Corinthians is so clear. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And I can't emphasize this enough, people. Don't give under compulsion. Don't feel guilty today. I'm sorry that people have done that. I'm sorry if I've ever done that, but I'm telling you, this is between you and God. This has to do with your heart because God, it's not about the money. With God, it's always about the heart. We're gonna close with a new song. As we think about this issue of, of serving God and finding a place in our hearts, because listen, generosity does something very incredible. It loosens the grip that money tends to have on our hearts. 
Like we all, I struggle with this. Like you work hard for your money and you scrimp and you scratch and you, you know, you do everything and you save and you try to, you know, you know, have a house and do all these things and, and you don't want to, you don't want to let go. And so you hold on so tightly. And Jesus says, you can't serve me and money. And he says that it's the love of money. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's when the love of money or the insecurity surrounding money becomes the grip on our hearts. We're going to miss it. And when you're like this, like me, being generous sometimes just loosens that grip. Like giving, even though I just, it's like I don't feel like I want to, but God, I want to I wanna be a part of what you're doing. And it just loosens this grip. I'm going to ask you today to, Open up your hearts to God. I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like for you. But I'm going to ask you to, you know, just get in a posture where you say, God, you know, just have anything and everything. Invite me into what you're doing. Would you stand with me as I pray? And I'm going to encourage you. We're going to close with a brand new song. The words of this song, it says, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Because I came here with nothing. All I have, you've given me. Like we come into this world with nothing. It's all his. It's all his. Posture is so important. I'm going to ask you to hold your hands out. If you don't feel comfortable, don't worry about it. I don't want you to do anything you don't want to do today. But hold your hands out if you feel comfortable enough to do that. If not, in your heart, just say, God, make me an offering. Like, do what you want to in me, through me, for your glory. As you sing this song, let it be the desire of your heart. Jesus, thank you so much that you've made it so crystal clear for us that if we let go of the attachment that money can have in our hearts, there's no room for you. God, open up our lives. Let us let go of the stranglehold that money can have on us. God, make us that offering. Let us be generous. Let us share with one another. Let us be about one another. Let's get our focus off of us and getting more and, and, and focus on other people and what the needs are and what they're, what they're going through and what the struggles are, God. Let us be your church for your glory and your name.